This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey guys, quick thing. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Guna Talk. Back again with you guys for another episode of what is the Arsenal News Show. Joining you every morning at 8 a.m. UK time. Hope you're doing good. Hope you're doing well. Thank you, as always, for making us a part of your morning routines. It is very much appreciated. I hope that you've had a fantastic week so far. And welcome to Match Day. Arsenal returning to European action in the Champions League, where they're facing RC Lens, the team that, of course, beat them in their earlier um, clash uh, in France, the only side that have beaten Arsenal in Europe this season. And Arsenal looking for some revenge. I imagine that that video that went a little bit viral after the game with the Lens players in the dressing room celebrating rather hard may be used in a certain team talk, I imagine. You know, Arteta does like his props in team talk, so maybe he will reference that video and give Arsenal plenty of motivation to come out the blocks and put Lens in their place. But they're no... You know, they're no meagre size. They are a very decent side. They came second, of course, in the French League last season. They've already beaten us, as we've already mentioned here. Um, and so Arsenal, I think, are going to have to be on their best to try and get the win. And we've got to keep our fingers crossed that they do, because if we do win, we guarantee top spot in the group. And nothing in this Champions League campaign for any team can be assured until the very final whistle. Just ask any Newcastle United fan. Uh, good morning to those joining us in the chat box. Thank you so much for doing so. It is very much appreciated. Good morning to A1, to Blackshine, to Vivian, to Ray. We've got Pikachu, Rowan, Damien, Brian, Sweating Merlot, Johnny, Paul, uh, Marcus, Carlton, Rich, Old Dave, Maximius, SNGC, uh, Stephen, uh, Carl, Franklin. Uh, we've got Mr. Ree, Red Star, Stevie, and plenty more And guys and girls in the chat box. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in. I saw a comment that I wanted to highlight that's now disappeared oh that's a shame there was a comment that i really wanted to throw up but now i oh here it is brett says uh, i'm live for the second time ever i must be getting better at life can't wait to hear what today has in store <laughs> complete ego just just completely marinated my ego yeah there i love that love that thank you more comments like that please um let's jump into today's show shall we uh, first of all if you haven't yet watched our preview show for the game between Arsenal and Lons, please do go and catch up. I was joined by, as always, three fantastic guests from our members' Discord server. 
was joined by Mike and Alex and debutant Leo, who did a fantastic job at uh, looking ahead to tonight's game. We discussed our lineups, our predictions, and our thoughts on the Champions League so far and some of the specific players and the narratives surrounding them as well. So if you've not given that a look yet, please make sure that you go back and watch it. It is the latest upload on the channel before this show. So I recommend that you go and do it. Uh, now, we'll focus uh, for a few minutes now on Mikel Arteta's press conference, which took place yesterday. Of course, there was an open training session as well, in which Ben White trained away from the main group, at least for the start of the session. And there was no Fabio Vieira present whatsoever. Ethan Maneri and, of course, Lewis Miles uh, Lewis Skelly were both involved after both of them have been missing with the England uh, youth side uh, and uh, have returned to Arsenal to reintegrate and are clearly reintegrating with the senior side, which is fantastic news. Maybe we'll see them in the squad tomorrow, uh, or rather tonight. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. Um, let's go through some of these comments, though. He was asked about Fabio Vieira and he said, yeah, we've got a problem with him. He's been having some discomfort and we tried to have alternative treatment with him and he wasn't improving. So we've sent him to see a specialist and that was to get an operation done on his groin. And we did that yesterday. We're expecting him out for weeks now. And when he might be available, he says we don't expect him to be back this side of the international, uh, sorry, of the winter break, which of course is in January. So let's see how he evolves. And obviously the operation was done yesterday. So we're having to wait to see, uh, using my headline there. Uh, but we will take it as it comes. And I think that this could have a significant impact on any potential January exit for Fabio Vieira. Um, Vieira, of course, was linked with the move to Marseille on loan. Any chance of that happening, I think, has taken a significant hit because of this injury. So that's something that needs to be considered. Uh, talking about Ben White, he says, yes, and he trained the day before the Brentford game and he was feeling good and I think he'll be available. That's very good news for us. So even though he wasn't necessarily training with the team from the off yesterday. Um, he has trained and has shown great resilience, so he should be okay and with the group. Uh, about winning the group with a game to spare, he says, yeah, we want, to, we want to win the game, that's for sure. We want to be top of the group and the opportunity is there for us tomorrow against a team that causes problems and that we've already experienced against them. So we have the right motivation to do that tomorrow. Uh, targeted uh, is a word that I think Bakaya Saka has been focused with and I think that he has been targeted by a number of players a number of teams, of course, focusing on him. And Arteta said, well, he's targeted because he's one of our most dangerous players and the teams know that and they try to stop our strengths, that's for sure. What he's done in those five years since his debut is remarkable at his age. When you look at his stats and how consistent he's been, it's very rare to see that at his age, especially in those positions at top clubs. It's uh, a big compliment to him. Uh, and it, absolutely, it is. Uh, on Trossard, he says, I don't know about the financial side, about him being one of the best value for money signings. I'm not an economist at the club. Uh, I think he's a tremendous player that has great talent, and especially great intelligence to play the way that we want to play. So he's a really good fit for us. Uh, talking about enjoying the Champions League, he says, I am enjoying it. It's a great feeling. It makes you proud. It makes me feel that this is the uh, the level the club should be at. And we've been competing really well. So let's continue to do so. And whether he has something to prove. I remember I asked Arteta once um, if he had something to prove in Europe uh, a few weeks back. I think it was before potentially the PSV game or the Sevilla game. One of the two, I asked Arteta if he has something to prove in Europe. And being asked again, he says, for sure, we have to prove ourselves. We have to come back to Europe being the club we want to be and have the presence and those results to tell you that we are back in a strong way. We haven't done that yet. And that has to be 
done. Uh, and lastly, kind of going into the, the last bit of the, the press conference is talking about Smith Rowe and Thomas Partey. He says it is a possibility that they could be back before the January break, but it will depend on how they evolve. Emil has already been on the pitch doing some jogging, so I don't know how long it's going to take. Normally, he is a quick healer and Thomas Partey is the same. We have to make sure that when they come back, they are at their best as well. We don't want to rush them back, but at the same time, the team needs them because at the moment we are missing some key, key players. So there you go. I mean, optimism around Partey and Smith-Rowe's potential return to the club. That's good. We want to see them back as soon as feasibly possible. So let's hope that they return before that. Not only the January break, but there's some suggestions out there I've seen circulating that people are hoping that they might even be back before Liverpool, which would be brilliant but I haven't got any information to suggest that that is an accurate description of their situation. Moving away from Arteta's press conference and the game against Lons, and to finish the new section with some transfer news, according to Chris Wheatley, Arsenal have held talks with Genoa defender Radu Dragusin. Now, I can't say that I know too much about the player at all. Um, I've just literally come to really learn about the player himself. But he's a 21-year-old centre-back, um, which gives us a little bit of information about maybe the age-profile defenders that Arsenal are going for. He is right-footed. If you remember, Arsenal have got a couple of left-footed centre-backs in Kivior and Gabriel. But right-sided centre-backs, we only really have Saliba. Yes, Tomiyasu could also play there. Ben White can also play there. But we do think of White and Tomiyasu now more so as full-backs. And so potentially options to go out into the market and sign a defender aren't that surprising considering the lack of depth. I remember a comment that Arteta made during one of his earlier press conferences this season where he said that we are shortest in defence, even with the absence of Timber. And I think even with the inclusion of Yuri and Timber, we still have some depth uh, question marks. If we were to lose Saliba, that all of a sudden makes us very, very light, um, or any one of our defenders, really. We become very light very quickly. So I think adding another defender to the group is certainly something that Arsenal have an interest in doing. And if indeed these suggestions that talks have been held with Radu Dragusin, um, the Genoa centre-back, who is a Romanian uh, international, has played uh, 12 times already for the senior Romanian team at 21 years of age, then maybe that's something that we need to look out for. And finally, our headline story of the day. Duncan Castles in the Daily Record has reported that both Arsenal and Liverpool are said to be exploring the financial capacity of any deal that it would take to sign Kylian Mbappe. Yes, you heard that right. The Kylian Mbappe links are back. They're thriving. They're here. We're talking about them. But Duncan Castles of the Daily Record reporting this story that clubs with him being a free transfer in the summer, it's worth remembering, what would it take? Is it possible? Could Arsenal be a side that could put together a package that would entice Kylian Mbappe, that would convince him that Arsenal are the place that he needs to move? We know that he's got affection for the club previously, but he's also spoken very highly of Liverpool as well. I think even he might be uh, something of a Liverpool fan. Um, Arsenal have had their history of Mbappe. We know that Arsene Wenger spoke to Mbappe about a potential move when he was at Monaco. That obviously never materialised, but this is the type of deal that obviously I think Arsenal should look to do. You might think, what the hell is Tom doing? He's lost his mind. But let's be really honest with each other. If Arsenal want to go and win Champions Leagues, if they want to go and win Premier League titles, Arsenal need to put themselves in the bracket of trying to sign the biggest and best players in the world when they become available. And that's what we did when we signed Declan Rice in the summer. If you'd have said to me three years ago, 
do Arsenal have a chance of signing Declan Rice? I would have said no. He's going to go to Chelsea or Manchester City. But Arsenal have elevated themselves into a position in the market where they do now compete for the biggest names, where they do go and throw three-figure million-pound deals down for players that they want to go and get. And so whilst I think that still it is incredibly unlikely that Kylian Mbappe would end up at Arsenal, because I think even him being a free transfer, the financials to do with his wages, to do with any potential signing on figures, et cetera, et cetera, intermediary uh, costs, it would still be an incredibly difficult deal for Arsenal to do from a financial standpoint, even without the added um, obstacle of a transfer fee involved. So don't get your hopes up, but don't lower your, and I don't want to use these terms like, because I know they get thrown around a lot, but I do think that the word standards can often get misused. But I do think at Arsenal, we do need to be at this moment in time, asking and hoping that Arsenal go out to try and sign the biggest and best players in the world, because we want to be at the elite level, winning the Premier League, winning the Champions League. And because of that, we do need to be a little bit expect, no, not expected, but aim towards signing those biggest players on the market. I think that's ultimately what we do. And there is obviously a question mark about his um, mannerisms and his temperament and his personality. So that would obviously need to be taken into account as well. And I know that's put off a fair few people, but there's no doubting that he's one of the best players in the world, not just in his position, but in general. So if Arsenal were able to be anywhere near as successful in the markets, they were of Rice with Mbappe, then I think it's so, I think it's certainly a, a risk worth taking. Um, but it would be very, very expensive. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Right, let's go to part two and your questions right after this. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. And the same goes at McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with Mook Delivery. Are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Okay, um, let's jump into the chat box. If you haven't dropped a like on the video already, please make sure you do. Um, thank you to everyone that continues to support the channel. I've not exactly been pushing the likes uh, as I had been su in such desperation as I did during the international break. But, you know, we were still hitting near a thousand likes on our last few videos, which is amazing. So thank you for everybody that's continuing to, to just like things. Um, and uh, yeah, help us out. It is very much appreciated. So please, please do uh, and of course the link down in the description will take you to our live event page if you want to get tickets for our live event in february uh, on february 22nd please make sure you do they are i'm very very happy with the situation with the tickets so uh don't miss out don't wait for our lineup to be announced because there may not be any left right let's uh let's go to the chat box then shall we um this is a good question from rowan rowan says hey tom what are your thoughts on the sin bin trials for me if it goes hand in hand with yellow cards i'm for it but if not it just gives refs more power to influence games whether correctly 
or not. So what Rowan's talking about here is this news that is circulating that came out yesterday that there is encouragement to trial sin bins at a higher level of professional football. If you're not aware of what a sin bin is, basically what it is, is a it's a temporary sending off. Uh, you're given a special card. It might be an orange card. And if you're given that card, it means that you have to go over to the sidelines and wait for a specified amount of time, be it 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes. Who knows? I think 10 minutes would probably be uh, 5 to 10 minutes would probably be the probably what it would be. I think it's a system that can work if it's done in the right way, in the same way that I think that VAR is a system that can work if used in the right way. The problem is, is that those using VAR are not using it in the right way. And so therefore, it's difficult to get on board with, you know, it's difficult to get on board with this, uh, this situation. It's difficult to get on board with uh, an idea that, that could be misused once again, that's really where my apprehension is with this. So that's very, very frustrating for me indeed. Um, and I think that when it comes to a situation like a Simbin, it can be good for when you see those professional fouls done. You know what I mean by that is where players like come sliding in uh, when a player is on the counter. It was a clear goal scoring potential opportunity, but there was still obviously a lot of work still to do. That's maybe when we could see those situations brought to light and a sim being used effectively. But it's difficult. It's difficult to know whether or not they would be effective. I think that's probably fair. Uh, Rob says, even if we could do it financially, I'm sure uh, I'm I'm not sure I would want Mbappe. Uh, it would destroy our wage structure and be extremely divisive in the dressing room. In two seasons, all Arteta's hard work is undone. Okay, let's talk about the wage structure thing, Rob, because I think that it's a fair comment, but one that maybe is getting a little bit too emphasised on. Now, it depends how much Mbappe would be paid. Now, I think... Uh, Let's have a look at what his weekly wage uh, is at PSG. So according to, uh, let's have a quick look at the, what it could be. So TalkSport says the mind-blowing £605 million salary um, for Mbappe. So um, three, well, I suppose that this is all talking about that link to, was it Al-Hilal? Um, I think it might have been, yeah, Al-Hilal. Uh, that's the amount of money that was being on offer to him uh, to go to Saudi Arabia. Now, uh, Mbappe, who has one year left on his contract, would earn £11.6 million a week. Yeah, that's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? I don't think it, we'd be looking at anything like that if it was, um, you know, if he was to move to Arsenal. I think only would we see him earn that ridiculous amount of money if he was to move to Saudi Arabia. If he's moving anywhere in Europe, we're not going to see these types of figures be talked about. You know, I think there's been discussions about his salary previously being something like £500,000 per week, something like that, um, at PSG, whether or not that would rise to, to something close to six or seven hundred, maybe even a million pounds a week. I don't think Arsenal can ever justify that amount of money. But if, if it was to stay around the £500,000 per week mark, if you think about the fact that Bakaya Saka's wage, including bonuses, it's, it's worth always in adding on, is around 300000 I think Havertz is, is upwards of £200,000 per week. I think that uh, Gabriel Jesus, Thomas Partey, Declan Rice, all upwards. I think, uh, don't quote me on that, but I think they're upwards of that. So if we sign Mbappe, who is considered as one of the top two, three players in the entire world, going to less than you know, less than 200% uh, 
uh, or rather, how do I work out this math? Yes, less than 100% more than what Saka is on, including all bonuses. Is that really breaking our wage structure? When you consider his stature, when you consider what revenue and commercial benefit might be brought in by the signing of Mbappe, I'm not sure. However, as Rob says, if he's going to be like three times the amount of our highest player, that I think changes things. And obviously because he is moving on a free transfer, maybe that does open things up. And that's why this suggestion that Arsenal are exploring how much it would cost, that's you know, that that's that's what we ultimately face is is an exploration of how much it's going to cost. And if it's deemed that it's too ridiculous for Arsenal, I'm sure that they won't do it. But I do want to kind of temper the whole it would break our wage structure because ultimately we don't know. And we're kind of we're in a situation where we're kind of, I suppose, hypothetical what's the word? Theorizing. That's the word I'm looking for. We're theorizing about what it might cost. So if it's like two times Saka's wage. I don't think that breaks it. If it's three times Saka's wage, then I think it breaks it. But that's it's completely subjective in people's opinions. But I think that considering the stature of player that he is, being the top, you know, alongside Haaland, he's probably the top two player in the world. And so if you're signing the next generation of your Messi-Ronaldo battle, which is Haaland and Mbappe, if you're signing one of those two, maybe with Jude Bellingham thrown in there as well, you know, it's difficult to not, expect and to even justify paying that amount of money um chris says hi tom regarding the tickets do you think it's unfair that arsenal don't do public sales and that you have to pay to be a member uh of some sort uh to even get a chance of finding tickets i think the reason why there's a membership program especially now um you know we can talk about previously but now is obviously it's a way of kind of um getting rid of the the bots in some ways now these days back in the day it was certainly something which benefited the club financially more and it still does benefit the club financially i've not really got a problem with the membership scheme what i have got a problem with is is when they obviously sell memberships that get into a position i think that makes it very difficult for anyone to get a ticket i think silver memberships have been paused which i think is the right thing to do in some ways because when you get to a stage where too many memberships is too many so that what you're buying and what you're paying for is reflective of the opportunity that you have to get a ticket. Um, and I think maybe that's something that needs to be considered. But it's it's a it's a fine balance. It's a fine argument, and uh, one which we obviously did on the phone and show the other day, which I I enjoyed doing. But it certainly raised a lot of worrying thought processes that some fans have. Uh, Nicholas says hi. I saw that someone reported that we're looking at Benjamin Sesco. Really easy link to make. Arsenal have had an interest in him for quite some time. Uh, Defence is in trouble. Uh, Tom, the amount of disrespect towards what Arsenal was doing on that show yesterday was unreal. Uh, why do some supporters have so much hate towards Arteta and Arsenal? I assume what you're talking about is my appearance on Dan Potts' show with a number of other uh, pundits talking about Arsenal. Uh, I think you saw... I think I approached the, the conversation in the best way I know I can. Um, I think I certainly put across the points, which I think are the most reasonable and sensible uh, that there are to put out there regarding things. I don't understand the anger at the moment towards Arsenal, really, even from those within our own fan base. Do I think there's an element of it being to just cause a reaction? I think, yes, there is an element of that. Um, and we don't do that here. <laughs> you know, we we I talk about things as I see them, I speak my mind. You know, I tell you, I, I say it as it is from my perspective. I don't hyperbolize things just to create that reaction. 
if there's a chance to celebrate, I'm going to celebrate. Um, I found that, you know, a little bit odd when we were discussing that yesterday show why there wasn't a celebration after the Brentford goal. I'm an Arsenal fan. I love the club. When they score, I celebrate. I celebrate even when I'm not supposed to, which I'm not supposed to in the press box. I was sitting next to a commentator, actually, at the Brentford game. Um, and when Havertz scored, I, there was a fist bump. Um, <laughs> not a fist bump. There was a um, a celebration, a pump of my fist. There we go. Um, and uh, after the commentator had finished kind of doing his section on the goal, he gave me a little tap like, I think you might be an Arsenal fan, <laughs> which was obviously quite a funny moment. Um, but you know, it's just one of those things. Like, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna tell people how they can and cannot show their support for Arsenal. The only thing I do have as kind of a minimum expectation is that you want Arsenal to win. That is just that is it. As long as you want Arsenal to win, you're an Arsenal fan. You know, as long as you want Arsenal to win the next game, you're an Arsenal fan. Unless, and there is only one very, very specific circumstance in which you can want Arsenal to not win. And that is if it has absolutely no negative impact in Arsenal's position in the table. And secondly, if it stops Tottenham Hotspur from winning the league. That is the only, only time. So there you go. Um... Let's go up in the chat a little bit more and tackle some more of your questions. Uh, Amira on the Simbin things. I feel like Simbins would only work if we used a stop clock. Uh, a team could have a player out for 10 minutes and use up half of that time with a tactical injury. Very, very good point. Not something I'd even thought about. Very good point indeed. I agree. I think a stopped clock, I think maybe it should be like five minutes of in-game time. So you have a stopped clock for when the ball is out of play and it's five, because 10 minutes of in-game play is a lot. So maybe five minutes of in-game play would be a more reflective, um, you know, sin bin period. I think that's a really, really good point. Um, so there you go. Akmal says, so it was Tom that was fist pumped to someone at the Villa game last season. <laughs> I was not involved in the chaos in the Aston Villa press box. I'm going to Aston Villa's press box again, of course, uh, in a couple of weeks time, I hope. Um, so that's going to be interesting to return to Aston Villa, uh, where it all kicked off last season. Um, let's go to uh james says remember that like button guys hope tom and all are well thank you james indeed if you could drop a like on the video we'd very much appreciate it uh Phil says tom i know they're man city uh, who are a juggernaut but the etihad is considered a pretty dead stadium in terms of crowd noise yet they were on a 22 winning home record is crowd noise a bit overrated? Now, it's really funny that you've left this comment, Fuad. And the reason why it's funny is not anything on you. It's because I actually tweeted this very thing not so long ago. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to find the tweet because it was quite a while ago. Um, I say it was quite a while ago. I don't think it was that long ago. Let me see if I can find it. It was before my controversial Doku Havertz tweet. So let's see if we can... <laughs> find anything below that here we go i found it five days ago i tweeted um manchester city are by far the most successful club in england of the modern era yet they have arguably the worst atmosphere of any of the big six teams perhaps even of the top half perhaps even in the whole league so how much does the atmosphere play a part in a team's success and i think that this is a really really interesting question um because we talked about on that phone-in show about how the atmosphere can affect and help the team. And to a degree, I think that it does. I think that uh, an atmosphere can have a positive, positive impact on the team. But 
I don't think that it is anywhere near of mu- as much of a uh, impact as maybe some believe it to be. You know, for instance, I thought that the atmosphere in the Man City home game this season when we won 1-0 was worse than the atmosphere when we lost 3-1 last season and 2-1 the season before that. You know, I think it was worse than those games and yet we won. So I think that's a good case study of how the atmospheres aren't, you know, then it's never going to be a uh, a difference maker, I don't think, for a team like Arsenal. I think the level of quality is too much. But I think when you look further down the league, I think when you look further down um, the footballing pyramid, I think for teams that maybe aren't on the same level of Arsenal, atmospheres have a bigger impact. So if you look, and Marcus says it does impact, you look at the Lawns game, I said that I felt like the, the atmosphere in Lawns had a huge impact on Lawns being successful in that game. And I do think that. But I think that's because it's for a different team. Lawns, obviously, in terms of quality level with respect, are not on the same level as Arsenal. And so I think that that's because the impact of atmospheres may be more impactual on teams further down the footballing pyramid than it is at the top. So I think there's probably a correlation between you know, how elite a club is along the bottom and impact of atmosphere. And I think the higher up you go in terms of how elite a team are, the impact that the atmosphere has, I think it's probably a downward trend um, as you go up. So that would be my estimation um, and my theory. So yeah, there we go. Uh, Mikey says, speak on the Newcastle tears, Tom. Ben says, are you upset that Newcastle got a crap decision last night? In all fairness, VAR is just bad at the moment. Kayser says, Newcastle were robbed and serves them right. Trip 2 says, I do feel sorry for Newcastle last night. I don't. I don't feel sorry for them at all. <laughs> I tweeted last night. I think what was my tweet last night? Again, I don't want to misquote myself. Um, I tweeted last night saying, uh, where is it? With the, uh, I don't know if you've seen Hot Fuzz, um, but Nick Frost, there's a uh, there's a scene in, in Hot Fuzz where he just has like, he's reloading his shotgun, I think it is at the time. He's just like, shame <laughs> what a shame and the uh the tweet was tough isn't it when the wrong decision goes against you newcastle um yes uh <laughs> i don't care I, obviously i care in the sense that it's an awful decision and in the context of refereeing and var terrible decision awful never ever ever a penalty like never in a million years is it a penalty do i feel sorry for newcastle absolutely not Absolutely not. I I could not give a flying you-know-what about how mugged off Newcastle fans feel about this result because it is so much karma. It is just so much karma because, as Arteta said, the decision to award that goal against us was embarrassing. It was a disgrace. It was one of the worst footballing decisions I have ever seen. It is a clear and obvious foul on Gabriel. And then there's big question marks about the other two moments of whether it was out of play and whether it was offside. And that, I mean, they're even irrelevant because the foul is so obvious, especially when literally weeks later, you're ruling out a goal for Man City because of even less contact from Akanji on Allison. It's just, there's no consistency. It is ridiculous. And if suddenly people are, um, I couldn't wait to watch back Eddie Howe's um, press conference because in Eddie Howe's presser the other day, he called for respect for referees and their decisions. And yet here he is calling the decision really poor. 
Uh, I don't know. It's, it's not much respect. I mean, you have to you have to respect the referee's decision, Eddie. You can't be calling it a poor decision. I don't think that shows any respect to the referee. Oh, it's just great. I love the irony. I love the hypocrisy. I love the contradictions. I love it. It's great. And it's worthy and they deserve it um, after what happened and how they approached that because it was only a matter of time until a decision went against them and it's happened really quickly and I'm loving every second of it. So, yeah. Is it a bad decision? Yes, it's awful. It's never a penalty, even though I told a few Newcastle fans in jest that it was last night. Um, but uh, I think, <laughs> do I care that Newcastle have been mugged off by? Absolutely not. No, I don't. Have we got a reason to be angry? I suppose that's the, the separate question. I know that we can have a laugh and a joke and, um, you know, be frustrated that the Newcastle only ended up with a point and now that the now their progression in the Champions League is out of their hands because of PSG beat Dortmund in their final game of the group. Um, of course, it means that PSG will progress with Dortmund and Newcastle will go into the... Europa League, unless they lose to Milan, of course, that would take things out of uh, their hands entirely. Uh, Milan could, in fact, still progress. If Dortmund beat PSG and Milan beat Newcastle, they would still go through. So it's going to be a very interesting match day six in that group. Um, but uh, let's talk about the actual fact of what it means for the game and try and remove our laughing biases at Newcastle. Um, it is horrific that that decision is given. It is awful for the game. It is an utter indictment of how bad refereeing is, not just in the UK, but outside and into Europe. And we've seen it in World Cups that refereeing decisions, again, still are really, really poor. The standard of officiating in the game is horrific to the nth degree. It is so poor. Awful. And if that decision is made against Arsenal, there's riots. <laughs> like, imagine that. If that. Imagine that's what costs Arsenal the Premier League, if that's what costs Arsenal a Champions League final or even the trophy, imagine if that decision goes against us. It would be bedlam. And it should be bedlam in Newcastle, really. You know, they should be taking that awful choice beyond absolutely ought to... The, they should take it to the highest authority. Just like I felt Arsenal should have taken ours to the highest authority when it happens to us. And yet you've still got mixed reviews about whether or not it's a penalty. But in this situation, it seems everyone is pretty unanimous in it not being a penalty. And then you look at the other night, Gary O'Neill, we talked about it uh, on Tuesday morning after the Wolves game against Fulham. How on earth Nelson Semedo is given, is, is sorry, is, um, is pulled up for that tackle uh, to give away a penalty. It's It's ludicrous. And, you know, the ludicrousness of it isn't that they're getting the mistakes wrong. The ludicrousness of it is that they're doing it so often. And it's just so frequent. It's just never-ending. Every single game day. It's not every single week. Every single day that there's a game, there is something that goes wrong in refereeing. There is a high-profile error. We're not just talking about them, you know, oh, it was a corner and actually it was a goal kick. Or, oh, it was a free kick in the middle of the park and it wasn't that led to a goal. Oh, you know, it was a yellow card, not a red. You know. We're not talking about some menial things. You know, we're not talking about these menial things. We're talking about game-changing, league-affecting, tournament-tarnishing decisions that are ruining the game that we love on a daily basis. That's what we're talking about. That's where this has got to. And it's because the quality of officiating is just not up to standard. Period. 
and things need to change and hopefully they do change and i constantly constantly ask especially in the uk for a greater emphasis on diversity because if you emphasize the the pool of people that you allow to not allow but just encourage to take up the mantle of refereeing then you have got a larger pool of people to find the best of the best from and that's why i want to see an encouragement of a larger diverse group of people being encouraged to take up refereeing and by the way refereeing is not easy i don't want to turn around and i don't want to completely undermine the profession to the point where we're saying their job's easy and etc 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 it's not right and that's why the whole thing about um you know stopping abuse against officials is also important stopping the abuse of officials is important because the reason why it's important is that we need officials for the game we need to have referees and we need to have a consistent conveyor belt of new referees coming through so that the officiating improves, right? And so that's why when we're talking about uh, the decisions that are made, the errors that are made, we still need to do it within the confines of measured objective criticism, you know? And we talk about sackings. I want to see accountability, Sackings is not the right way forwards. Accountability is the right way forwards. If you're a referee and you know that one mistake in a big game can cost you your entire career, I don't believe in that. I'm a person that's not for cancel culture. I'm a person that believes in second chances, education, and making sure that it's it's an encouragement of improvement. That's the way forwards. I know that a lot of people wanted to see every referee sacked after a big decision goes against their club, but I'm not in that place. I'm not in that position of wanting referees sacked for making bad calls. I want to see referees held accountable. And what I think the best way of doing that is by they get demotions down to a lower league for a few weeks or for a season if they're doing it on a consistent basis and another referee is given an opportunity instead. But the thing is, is, if you encourage an environment where referees are in a period where if a big mistake happens, they're facing the sack, who would else want to want to do that job? Who is going to want to do that job? No one. No one. And some people might turn around and say, well, if I make a mistake at work, I could get fired. I'd argue the mistake that you'd have to make at work to get fired would have to be pretty darn significant to a exceptionally high degree. Right. I think that we can agree that mistakes made at work happen. We make mistakes at work. People make mistakes at work all the time. It's about whether or not uh, it depends on the, the veracity of that error and it depends upon the frequency of those errors. If there is consistent errors over and over and over and over again, then we can start talking about, you know, whether or not that, that referee needs to have, you know, whatever action taken against them or the accountability or the demotions, et cetera, et cetera, and replaced with other officials to give them chances. Then that referee has to work their way back up again. But if you start creating an environment that referees are sacked after a huge pro- high-profile error and just the one, then it's not an environment that's going to encourage referees to come through. And we need referees. You know, they're always the villain, but we need referees. You know, we need them. So you need to encourage an environment that, yes, promotes excellence, promotes the highest standard of officiating possible with accountability for when that doesn't happen. But we also need to encourage an environment that encourages new referees to come through and to not be put off. And I can tell you that at grassroots level, at Sunday league level, referees are abused on a weekly basis by parents, by players, by coaches. They are abused. And it's true. They are. And it's not, it's not a thankful 
you know, it's not a it's a thankless task, is what it is being a being a referee. And so I do have a level of standard. Um, and, and I think that's the way. Tiger and Gunnar says, if you stuff up in your job, you get the sack. So should be so, so should the referees. And again, it's this like broad statement. If you to quote Tiger and Gunnar here, if you stuff up your job, you get the sack. And let, let's be honest, that's not true. In every case, that's not true. People make mistakes. People make mistakes at work. It happens, you know, and you don't always get the sack for it. You have to make a quite significant error, a pretty awful error to be to be facing a sack, right? You know, to be doing a pretty horrible thing either to fellow colleagues or to yourself or to bring the company into disrepute or something like that. You have to do something pretty significant. Uh, some people might say, well, they're bringing the game into disrepute by, by making those errors. But for me, it's 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 about measure it's about being objective it's about dealing out punishments or um, consequences that are equal to the context of the the crime you know so it's not just a simple thing of you know they should be punished and uh never never referee again if you if you type if you if you bring up that dynamic you're never going to have referees coming through so i think it's really important that we whilst for sure criticize and be very open and honest. The standard of officiating is not good enough at the moment. At the same time, we need to be in a position where we're also still encouraging the improvement of officiating and still encourage people to want to be referees and want to be officials. Because if we don't, we won't have any. If we don't have any, there won't be any sport. Or at the very minimum, the refereeing standards will only get worse. So you need to think about that in the broader context when talking about referees. They shouldn't be abused. I'm absolutely on board with the no abuse policy, but they should be able to be criticised. I think that's worth pointing out. Abuse, no. Criticism, yes. And I, I do that for, you know, when we're talking about Arsenal, when we're talking about Arteta. I had someone leave a comment on my, my shows. I think it might have even been Answer is one of our long-term listeners. Left a comment saying, if you're criticising Arteta, something to this 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 uh, equivalent, like if you're criticising Arteta, you're basically saying that you think you know better than him. And that's not true. You know, you should be able to be critical. You should be able to scrutinise when you're objective and fair. And I think we do that. I don't think everyone does that, but I think we do that. But at the same time, you know, you can't go too far. You can't cross the line into abuse. And it is that line that when it is crossed, there are problems. So just be aware of that when discussing um, both referees and anyone else in the game. It's really, really important. Right. Um, thank you ever so much, everybody, for listening. Really appreciate your time, as always. Uh, thank you for everyone that continues to tune in, support the channel, and all that lovely stuff. If you've liked today's show, please do drop a like. If you're listening on audio platforms, leave us a five-star review. It takes you just a second, and it really does help us out on over those, over on those platforms. If you listen on YouTube, hop over to Spotify, hop over to iTunes, leave us a five-star review. It really does help us out. And if you're listening on the audio platforms, you want to hop over to YouTube and help us here, you can do that. If you want to go to our live event on the 22nd of February, tickets are down in the description. Link is there. I want to see so many of you. I want to put faces to names. I want to see people again and again and again that I've already met before because our community is fantastic. Um, so thank you to everybody that continues to be part of this community. Uh, we will see you. I'll be back tomorrow morning, of course, for a breakdown of the game against Lawns. And then on Friday, of course, we'll be looking ahead to that game against Wolves in the Premier League. I'm going to be there at the game tonight. If I see you around, say hello. I always, always enjoy seeing people at the games as I'm in and around the stadium. So thanks to everybody that continues to show support. I will see you again very soon. And as always, up the Arsenal.
it's the 90 plus minute. All your mates are around and you've got a McNuggets share box ready to go and you know a late winner's coming. Your mates already got booked for a double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfection. Order now on the McDonald's app for your delivery. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.